there are difficult people in this world, right? There are people who are difficult to get along with. There are people who are difficult uh, to be in just a relationship with. And there are people who you really don't want anything to do with, right? If you're like me, there's, a, there's, there's groups of people, there's, there's types of people that are just challenging to deal with, right? You walk up to them and, and all of a sudden everything in you gets kind of like out of sorts, right? Because you, they begin to talk. I remember, and I may have shared this story here, but when my, my oldest son was playing Little League Baseball and he was small, uh, and, and I remember I was at a baseball practice, his first baseball practice that he was on this team, and I was standing way down the, the third base foul line, uh, just kind of down there, and I was standing with a couple of dads, and all of a sudden, these dads start harassing their children, right? They're, they're just getting on them, and not like, hey, son, you can do better than that, but really just dressing their sons down from the third base line, just getting all over them. And there's three of us, so it's these, this one dad, and he starts going after his kid. And I'm like, man, that's not good. And then this other dad jumps in on his kid, and I'm still standing there. And in that moment, I realize I don't like these people. Right? Like, I, I do not like these people at all. I don't want to be around these people. Like, like I, I, I chose to stand by them because here's what I thought. I'm going to go and just kind of be a good, like, pro-Jesus person near these people. Like, I don't know them. They look like nice guys. They look like guys that I'll be able to get to know and enjoy. And maybe we'll have a gospel conversation. But it took about 30 seconds of me standing alongside these men for me to realize I don't want to say another word to these men in my life. I don't want anyone to think that I know these people. Because they weren't just kind of hard on their kids. Like, it was, it was mean, and it was degrading, and, and I was standing there beside them, and I felt dirty just being near them. Right? Like, like, I felt like I should apologize to Seth for standing next to people who were getting on to their kids. Like, it was, it, it was a difficult situation for me, and there are people like that in this world, Right? It's not anything that you, you wouldn't even necessarily know it just by looking at them from a distance. But once you get to know a little bit about them, you're like, no. No, you are a difficult person. I don't need you in my life. And we do that to protect ourselves, right? To protect ourselves from uncomfortable situations, protect ourselves from, from difficult people causing us problems. But the beauty of what Jesus did was he ran to those difficult people and not away from them. See, I'm a pastor, and I still will run away from some people if I realize they're going to be problems for me, right? Like, I'll reach out to them, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, nope, nope, I don't got time for that, and I'll go back, and I'll I'll find someone who's easier for me to work with, but Jesus did the exact opposite in his ministry. He would find difficult people, and he would go into their lives. He does it at—we're in the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 7. But, but you just, as you read the story of Jesus, right, he goes up to the people who everyone else says, you don't want to be around that guy. You know, tax collectors, which, like, tax day's coming up, right? Like, we, we all got our issues with the tax people, right? And that's today. And there's laws that the tax people have to follow. Back then, they didn't have laws they followed. They just took every penny they could get. Jesus rushed into relationships with those people, right? People who are living in, in various forms of sin. Jesus rushes into a relationship with those people. Jesus' disciples are made up of some pretty rough people, right? Working class people like fishermen and things like that, but also tax collectors like Matthew was a tax collector. He, he, he has friends like the, with a guy who's a zealot. And what a zealot is was someone who 
actively sought to kill Roman people so that the Jewish people could have possession of their land. Basically, a terrorist. Right? Like if we were to classify what the zealots were, they were a terrorist organization in the first century. And one of these guys, a disciple of Jesus, one of his closest 12 friends, he's constantly reaching out to the difficult people. Not to the neglect of what we would consider to be easier people or more natural fits, but the people who should have been easier fits for Jesus, he's always yelling at them. Right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the people who know God's word, he's got issues with them, but these sinners... He jumps right into a relationship with them. There's something to that. We'll get to that later on. But, but to think about our lives. All right, how much do we look like Jesus when it comes down to these things? Do we rush into relationships with people who are difficult? Or do we run from them because they're difficult? Let me read. Uh, we're going to be in, uh, like I said, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And this is what's going on in the life of Jesus. It says, and from there he, that's Jesus, arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. And she came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for the statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now I'm going to stop here. This is the first story we're going to deal with today. But here's what's going on. Jesus is leaving his primary area of ministry. And, and if you were to think about like a map of Jesus's ministry, he did the majority of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, right? And this is a lake that's, I don't know, it's the size of Lake Livingston. If you're Texas Lake, geography is okay, right? It's about a seven-mile-long lake, uh, uh, maybe 15-mile-long by seven-mile-wide lake, right? So it's a good-sized lake in the middle of, of Galilee. And that's where Jesus does the vast majority of his ministry. When he's walking on the water, that's what he's walking on. When he's telling the storms to calm down, that's the waters he's talking to. It's where he does 90% of his ministry up to this point is in that region. But Jesus leaves that region and he goes to another area, the region of Tyre and Sidon. And I don't expect you to know much about Tyre and Sidon. Just to tell, all you need to know is this. These were people that Jews didn't hang out with, right? The people who lived in Tyre and the people who lived in Sidon were like the worst people that a normal Jewish person could ever expect to come into contact with. They were Canaanites. If you remember your Old Testament history, these are the bad guys throughout the entire Old Testament. The Phoenicians, right, are, are kind of a traitors up in that area. Uh, and so they're a bad group of people. And Jesus purposefully goes to them. The first time that he leaves his little home base of Galilee, he goes way out to, it's a 120-mile round trip that he takes. 120 miles, and he's walking or riding a donkey or I don't know what he's doing, right? But he's not, he's not driving a, a Ford Escort, right? Like he's, he's, he's taking the long route. And so he takes this long route to go to see these people in Tyre and Sidon. And he goes there and he has a desire to be kind of anonymous, which makes sense, right? He's leaving where everyone knows him 
going where he thinks no one's going to know him, but for some reason, when the Son of God shows up, people recognize him. He's hiding out in a house, just trying to relax and recover, not trying to make a big deal about what he's going to do, and they hear about him. And so this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman, this woman who is far from God, Right? Canaanites had many gods, a variety of gods, hundreds of gods that they worshipped over the course of the history of Israel. And constantly they were a thorn in the side of the Jewish people. And this woman comes to this Jewish teacher who's in town and she falls at his feet and she begs him to help her. Right? And there's different classifications of courage. Right, There's courageous people. I think about firefighters, and this is like my picture of courage is a firefighter, because a firefighter literally sees a building on fire and is like, going in there. Right? Like me, when I see a building on fire, I'm like, dang. Right? Like I'm not getting in. If I'm in a building on fire, I am freaking out and jumping out windows. Right, but, but a firefighter, right, they see danger and they go into it. Same thing for a soldier, right? Soldiers, they hear gunfire and they're like, what's going on? Police, the same deal, right? There are certain people who are courageous by either vocation or because something in them makes them courageous, right? And then there's cowards, which is the opposite end of that. But beyond, like, regular courage is a supernatural amount of courage, like above the natural amount of courage that exists in every single parent. Right? If you're a parent, it's not courage to go and do what this woman does, but, but it is beyond normal, right? It's a supernatural, it's an above natural response to say, I will go and do anything to help my child, right? That's the love that a parent has for their children, right? There is nothing, I have five and a half kids, there's nothing that I would not do for my children, right? I will, I will go to the, to the ends of the earth to help them. If they're in pain, I will try to help them, right? If, if, if some poor boy breaks their heart, I'll break his legs, right? right? I will do whatever I need to do to help my children. And this woman has her daughter, and her daughter is suffering, and the suffering she has is demon possession. We don't know exactly what this manifested as, but we have earlier stories of demon possession, right? You have the guy living out in the tombs, and he's cutting himself and trying to throw himself in fire. Like, when you're possessed by a demon in the ancient Near East, it's not a pleasant experience. This is a little girl. And so the mother who sees her daughter suffering and suffering and suffering, she probably got her chained up, right? She probably got her locked down so she doesn't hurt herself. But that daughter that she loves is broken, messed up. And maybe because of pagan practices in the family, maybe because of the idolatry that's been in that family for generations, but whatever the cause of that girl's demon possession, she is sick. And nothing can help her. Right? Because when you're demon-possessed, you know what doesn't help you? Psychotropic medication. Right? Right? Like, you can't say, like, here's some Prozac and you're going to be okay. Right? Here's some Paxil. You're going to be okay. No, if you're, if you're demon-possessed, it's not natural. And so she's messed up. The doctors of the day couldn't do anything for her. And so she was just suffering day after day after day. And this Canaanite woman, this pagan woman, this woman who's far from the promises of God, hears that there's a man in town who fixes these problems. And so she rushes to him, and she falls at his feet, right, which is a picture of humility. And she falls at his feet, and she says, please, please heal my child. And we know the character of Jesus. He is good and loving and, and 
right? And so we expect immediately Jesus to be like, your, your, your daughter's healed. But Jesus does something weird. Right? I mean, this is so weird. It's probably the most, I don't know, it's one of the three most challenging things Jesus says in the Bible. He, he looks at this woman who's crying out for mercy for her daughter, and he says, it's not right to give the food of the family to the dogs. Right? It's not right for me to go to you, you dog, it's better for me to heal my own kind. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's better for me to heal the Jewish people and to give the Jewish people stuff. I mean, literally, what does he say? He says, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take their bread and toss it to the dogs. He's calling this woman a dog. He's calling this woman's daughter a dog. This is hard words. Like It's words that as you read them, it should break your heart. She's like, oh my goodness, Jesus, what are you doing? You're supposed to be this good, loving, holy, righteous person, and all of a sudden you're calling this woman a dog. Like, we don't, we, if you call a girl a dog now, like, that's mean. Right? That's, that's not a good thing to do. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, what is Jesus doing? There's a couple things that Jesus is doing, but the primary thing he's up to there is he's, he's putting this woman's faith to a very brief test. He's like, first... The children need to be fed, which means, right, right, if I was to start a sermon, I said, my first point is this. You would anticipate something, right? Like there's going to be a, a second point, right? Right, if I said lastly, you would expect there to be no more points and that I would stop talking, right? And if I gave another point after that, I'd be like, that's bad preaching, don't do that. So Jesus says, first, I'm supposed to take care of my people, Right? First, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so that implies that there is more to what Jesus is doing. It's not totally without hope. And this woman hears what Jesus says, and she responds with faith. Right? She says, yes, you're right. Take care of them first, but even us dogs get to eat the scraps that fall. Right? And basically she's saying, I know that you have more than enough to take care of my problem. I know that I'm not worthy. I know that I'm far from God. I know that what you experience and stand for has been what my family has been opposed to forever. But I know that you've got enough for me. And Jesus looked at her, right? He looked at this woman and immediately said, your daughter is well, he tested this woman's faith. Guys, you're going to experience tests of your faith in this life. And they're not always pleasant, right? Like if, when Jesus called this woman a dog, her heart probably broke a little bit. But in that moment, she spoke with courage back to the Son of God and responded wisely. Yes, you're right, Jesus, but you still have more for me. You're going to experience tests in this life. You're going to feel like you're going to come to situations that are hopeless in this life. You're going to reach the end of your natural strength in this life. But there is more for you in Christ. Jesus is not exhausted his power. He's not exhausted his grace. This is what we feel sometimes right? when we deal with difficult people. Right? We feel like Jesus can't reach that guy. That's what I felt when I was standing down third base line with those men. And I, and I remember it was so, and this is 10 years ago now. 
Right? I remember it so clearly. I was standing there, and those guys are just dressing down their sons. And I slowly, I do this move right here. I go, oh. huh. right? Just slowly walk away and kind of like, oh, I'm going to go talk to that guy over there now, right? Because he's not currently making me feel like terrible. But I remember as I walked away, I was like, I, I don't want to talk to those people. I want to deal with those people. They're difficult. But God's grace is enough for them. I went home that night. And I went home that night and I told my wife this story. She didn't go to practice, you know, mothers, right? She's probably having another child at that time. I don't know. But, but, but I went home and I told her this story. I told her about these guys and they were dressing down their kids and how I was embarrassed to be around them. And my wife responded to me. And she kind of like kicked me. And sometimes women do this to their husbands, right? Like, like they, they come and they tell true words to their husbands in like the meanest possible ways. But she's like, you know, Matt, like, you were probably, like, their opportunity to hear the gospel. I can't remember exactly what she said. Basically, she said, like, you know why God put you there, right, Matt? Was to be loving and gracious to these people and, and show them the gospel. And you did the exact opposite. Just keeps kicking me, right? Like, I'm like, what? She's right. Like, I was given an opportunity to be around two guys who were far. And, that, and, they, and they may be, like, they may know something about Jesus. I don't know. They were far, far from God in that moment. I had an opportunity to come to them, but what I thought in my mind was there is nothing that's going to help these guys. Right In that moment, I looked at the table of God's grace, and I said, it is all used up for other people. There ain't no crumbs for these guys here. And I walked away, and I left them to their own devices. And left to our own devices, guys, we make terrible, terrible choices. God's grace reaches the unreachable. This woman had no claim to, to, to this healing power. She had no claim to Jesus Christ. She had no claim to like the story of what God is doing. Yet Jesus healed her daughter because she expressed faith. And Jesus has plenty to give. He's not empty. You feel like you're in a hopeless situation. You feel like you're dealing with hopeless people. You feel like your life is up against a wall. Let me tell you something. It's not over. There's more to come because Jesus has more. Jesus leaves that area and he continues on. It says in verse 31, he returned from the region of Tyre. He went up through Sidon and then he came back down to the Sea of Galilee for the region of the Decapolis, so back near his home base. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into the guy's ears, and after spitting, touched the guy's tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephatha, which is a great word, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them, the men who were healed, the man who was healed, to tell no one. But the more he charged the people, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus finishes this miracle with this Syrophoenician woman. He go wanders around a little bit, and he comes back down to the Sea of Galilee, goes into a neighborhood with the Decapolis, which is just the ten cities is what it means. 
And so he's in an area with ten towns fairly closely um, linked together. And he comes up, and there's a man, and he's deaf and dumb. That's how I was taught at once upon a time. Not dumb like this, but can't speak, all right? So he couldn't hear, and he couldn't speak. And he's brought to Jesus. And he has no way to communicate. He has no way to express what he wants, but he has friends begging Jesus to lay his hands on him. So Jesus takes him to the side, and Jesus does this weird ritual. Because think about all the healings Jesus has done up to this point, right? He says a word, and people are healed. Like, right before this, Jesus heals this Syrophoenician woman's daughter from, like, some distance. We don't know where this girl was at, but she wasn't there in front of him. Right? He says, your daughter's healed. And the woman goes home, and her daughter's fine. Like, everything's okay. Jesus has the power to heal from a distance. Yet this guy, who is deaf and can't speak, is brought to Jesus, and Jesus does this weird ritual. Right? Like he takes his fingers, and he shoves them in the guy's ear. He spits, and then he touches the guy's tongue. Right? And then he's sighing, and he's saying like cryptic words that are difficult to pronounce. Right? He does all of these things. And we have to ask ourselves, why is he doing those things? That's what I ask myself. And the answer is not that difficult, right? Like this man who's in front of Jesus can't hear, can't speak, has very little communication with the world. He's, he's cut off from some of his senses, and Jesus uses the only senses that guy has and says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take my fingers, I'm going to shove them in your ears. You know, these things that have been plugged up, this is what I'm going to fix. And he spits, he touches the guy's tongue. He says, this thing that, that's been all tied up and isn't working, I'm going to make this thing work. Or if Jesus had said these words, the guy wouldn't have heard him. Jesus doesn't know ASL, right? And that probably wouldn't work over in the ancient Near East anyways, right? And so Jesus speaks to him in the only way the guy knows to understand. And in a moment, that man is healed. But here's the deal. That guy seemed hopeless. His life was hopeless. No one had any hope for a deaf, dumb man, a mute, deaf person. He didn't have a future. He didn't have a life. And Jesus gave it all back to him. The man who was beyond reach of doctors was well within reach of the great physician. Guys, you may feel beyond reach of Jesus Christ. I know I feel beyond reach sometimes of Jesus Christ because I do stupid things. I make stupid choices. I say, oh my goodness, if, if I could stop myself from saying stupid stuff, I would probably say half as much stuff as I say. Right? I mean, like, like, I am just so, so broken. And that's on a good day. That's on a Sunday. Like, I'm, I know who I am. I don't have this thing all figured out. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. God is working through me. And sometimes I feel way beyond the grace of God. I feel like there's nothing that can bridge that gap. But God bridged that gap for me. Jesus reaches to the unreachable. You may feel today like you've got a friend who is so far from God. Now, you've known them since you, were, since you were this tall, right? And, you, and you've grown up with them and you've run with them forever and they are just far from God. But you know, no one is beyond the reach of God. Jesus speaks in a way that all people will understand this deaf man couldn't understand words, so Jesus used touch. Used the man's eyes and the man's touch to reach him. If you've got someone in your life who you feel is so far from God that God can't reach him, I just want you to take courage from this story. God reaches whoever he wants to reach. 
And there's no boundaries that can be put up to keep them from being reached. Right? Maybe they've been living in sin, wallowing in sin for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. God brings sinners to repentance every day. It's what he does. So keep praying for those people. Keep bringing those people to Jesus Christ. That's what this guy's friends did, right? They drug him to Jesus Christ and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him because they said, this guy needs what you have. You've got a friend, you've got a child, you've got a parent who needs Jesus Christ. Bring them before Christ. Every day as you're lifting up your prayers to God, bring that person before Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, reach this person because they're far from you. And Jesus does amazing things. I love the testimony these men have. Jesus tells them not to testify and they can't help themselves. But the testimony they have is they says he does all things well. Everything Jesus does, he does well. And he's still doing things well today. Guys, sometimes we feel hopeless. We feel like, oh, those stories from back in the day were so great. How come we can't have stories like that today? But Jesus is like today, someone is receiving salvation. Today, right now, somewhere, someone is receiving the message of salvation because Jesus reached out to them. And usually it's because someone brought them to Jesus. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you put presenting before Jesus on a daily basis? Do you have loved ones? Do you have neighbors? Do you have enemies that you think are beyond the reach of God? Pray for them. God does amazing things, and he does all things well. He'll make them well. The Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus, begs for the sake of her daughter. Jesus heals her. These guys bring their friend to Jesus who can't speak and can't hear, and Jesus heals him in the way that he needed to be touched. Jesus touched him exactly like he needed. He still does that today. He's making all things new. And he does all things well. We serve a good God. right? We have a good God who is not limited by our resources. So bring them to Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through prayer. right? Daily, like I said, daily you should be praying for salvation for your friends who don't know Jesus. For your family who are far from Jesus. You may have people who are adamantly opposed to Jesus. Those are the people you bring to Jesus. Because Jesus can break those hearts and bring them into his family. Another way we bring people to Jesus, though, is we bring them to a point where they can hear the message of hope. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Like I said at the beginning of this sermon, people will need to hear the message of the dead Son of God who rose again, conquering death in the grave, burying sin and Satan underneath a pile of rocks and conquering victoriously. People need to hear the message that there's hope in this world. That message will be preached here. It'll also be preached in about 7 million other churches across the United States of America next Sunday. You need to bring your friends with you. You've got friends who live in another state. You need to encourage them to find a church by them who will preach the message that Christ died for sinners, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, conquering those things. That's a message we have to share. I don't care where they end up at. They don't have to be in these nice, beautiful pews that we have here today. They don't have to be here with us, but they need to hear the message. Bring them before Jesus. 
Guys, we have a responsibility to know that no one is beyond the reach of God. Those men that I stood with on the third baseline weren't beyond the reach of God. They were beyond the reach of Matt. I was too, too selfish. I was too stubborn. I was too prideful. I was too ashamed to be around them. Jesus humbled himself to come for those guys. He humbled himself to come for you. Have you experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in your own life? Do you know that Christ died for your sins, that he rose again so that you could experience new life today so you don't have to be buried underneath the burden of sin? A lot of us, we live our whole lives trying to be good, good, good. I'm going to stay on this treadmill. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better than that guy. We think it's a race that if we're better than that guy, that somehow that means that we're in good standing with God. But that guy isn't the standard bearer, right? That your next door neighbor who's getting plastered every Tuesday night is not the person you should be comparing yourself to. Right? The standard is Jesus Christ. Perfection is the standard and we all fall short, but God's grace reaches us you don't know that today's a good day for you because that means you can experience salvation now you don't have to wait to easter today can be a day where you cry out to god and say jesus forgive me of my sins i believe that you died on the cross i believe that you rose again and i believe that you did that so that i could be in a right relationship with you today's a day you can do that it's also a day for you to begin praying praying for the people you're going to be bringing with you next sunday praying for the people you're going to be uh, asking God to, mentor, uh, to, to, to reach, to meet them where they are. Today's the day to begin that as well. Whatever you need to do, we don't have an invitation in a minute. It's time for you to respond uh, in faith to what God is doing in your heart. Let's pray.